Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the God's Own Scale podcast. It's not size that matters, it's what you do within the cows. God's Own Scale is sponsored by Coat Arms Paints and is produced in association with Bacchus Miniatures and Pendraken Miniatures. I'm Sean Clark, your host, and in this episode I'm talking to Robert Jan Maycock about the Spanish Civil War. Robert runs the Spanish Civil War Wargaming Facebook group and has a passion for not only the Civil War but Spain in general, so much so he lives there teaching English as a foreign language. In hobby news, it's Partisan on the 22nd of May, which is a week away at the time of recording. I'll be there hovering between the Cold War Commander game, Charles Roundtree's Engine River game, and generally buzzing around all the marvellous show games that Partisan is so well known for. I'll no doubt have our now regular coffee break at around midday, so if you want to pop over for a chat, please do so. I'll be there for around half an hour in the cafe area, shooting the breeze, with the likes of Nigel Atta and Alex Sotheron, and I think Ken Raleigh might be on his way down too. Bacchus are continuing with their excellent showcase series of videos, with number three out now, showing off the Great Northern War Range. More of this in a special pre-partisan show next week, though. Pendraken are releasing the eagerly awaited Cold War Commander 2 rules at Partizan, and friend of the show Richard Phillips is putting on a spectacular Cold War Commander game with a rail bridge that has to be seen to be believed. If you've seen it already across social media, you'll know what I'm talking about. I am lucky enough to be popping over to Richard's place on Tuesday for a sneak peek along with my old mate Barry to take a closer look. And I'm hoping Richard will be guesting on the show very soon. In new releases, Scotia Grendel have some new modern Iranian micro-models, which is excellent timing for the release of Cold War Commander. Micro-World have released the first codes in their 6mm Bronze Age range. I urge you to check them out because the level of detail on these sculpts is simply amazing. Lots of individuality and character, sculpted by Dave Summers, well worth taking a look at. Moving up to 10mm, New Line have released some very nice English Civil War cavalry and musketeers wearing a hat and the painted examples are very nicely done and show that 10mm really is a good alternative to 15mm in the level of detail. Battlescale, one of my favourite makers of buildings and scenic pieces, now have a grain 10mm range alongside their existing 6mm range and they've got plans to expand out to the increasingly popular 3mm. Check out their website and support them if you can, because without companies like Battlescale, we don't get the nice things in the hobby, and they only thrive if we spend money with them. Even a small order of, say, £10 will get you a couple of buildings in 10 mil, or three buildings in 6 mil that would grace any tabletop. As always, I use the excellent Wargames website for the majority of my news, as should you. Check it out for other hobby news and a great forum to engage with fellow, fellow hobbyists. Okay, that's enough of me wittering on. You're not here to listen to me talking. You're here for the interview with Robert Maycock. So, without further ado, let's talk about six. Mademoiselle from Okay, I have with me um, my first guest from Spain. I've, I've travelled one or two different countries, but yet to travel 
to Spain with a guest. I've got Mr. Bob Maycock with me. How are you, Bob? I'm well. How are you? I'm I'm very well, as is usual. Um, there's been one or two hiccups uh, when we've been pressing play and thinking, oh, we're not sure what's happening here. But we're talking and we're recording. And you appear to be recording. so uh, We appear to be recording. Let's go with that. If there's any sudden moves, we'll probably be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's right, mate, yeah. So, uh, Bob, uh, I've, I've reached out to you because you run a very interesting Facebook group called uh, Spanish Civil War Wargaming. And the Spanish Civil War has long been an interest of mine, ever since a history teacher actually talked to us about it back in the mid-80s. And I've had an abiding interest in it ever since. I've not wargamed it an awful lot. I have done so uh, more recently, but I've, I've read quite widely around it. But I thought you would be the perfect person to get onto the podcast because you've an interest in the, in the conflict and you live in Spain. So you tick all of the boxes. There's only two boxes, but you tick both boxes. So we'll say you tick all the boxes to talk about this very interesting conflict. But before we do that, Bob, uh, as always, we like to get into the weeds and take a peek behind the curtain oh, of who the guest is and what got them into this wonderful hobby of ours. So what, what's your story, Bob? How did you get into this hobby? Well, I, I, I suspect you and I are probably about the same age. So we probably have a very similar origin story in that we, all, we started with a box of plastic X, airfix figures and watching um, Where Eagles Dare on the TV. <laughs> Von Ryan's Express was my choice. Oh, right. I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. 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 I've seen it. <laughs> but Where um, Eagles Dare is fantastic. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I remember actually watching uh, Where Eagles Dare with my granddad, who uh, had been in the war, and he, he really didn't like it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, watching watching that kind of stuff. Um, I can't remember where I got my first Airfix uh, set of figures from. Um, and then discovering Don Featherston in the library. Um, and then I remember the first, the first War Games book I bought, uh, which was every Christmas, one of my a friend of the family used to give me and my sisters a book token. I went, we would go to go to Smith's after Christmas and spend it. And I remember this one particular year, back in the 19-somethings, um, uh, finding this book called Operation Warboard by Gavin and Bernard Lyle. And I which I actually think was a better introduction to wargaming than a lot of the Featherson stuff, because it's kind of complete and it was kind of organized and gave you everything you needed to do in order to do some actual wargaming. Uh, whereas I always found Don Featherston stuff so a little bit kind of, you had to have a lot of, a lot of the different books in order to actually bring it all together and make it into some kind of wargame. Um, so yeah, started off, doing that started off you know building airfix kits and, and and playing games um in the garden or you know in my room um and then as i say discovering this this the fact that this wasn't just us playing with toy soldiers but that there was actually this kind of community out there of people who 
had a more of a purpose to this whole thing. It wasn't just rolling marbles and you know. Um, and then moved. I was living in. I was grew up in the southeast of England and working. Um, and then moved up to the north, moved up to Harrogate in North Yorkshire, and there was a war games club. And basically, that's where it started, really. Started going to a club, meeting other people who, you know, um, and getting uh, getting really, you know, going to the club every Wednesday, Wednesday night. Um, and then that was it, sort of started me off realising it wasn't just... Um, and then getting more and more interested in various historical things, various his, you know aspects of history, um, trying to get things I don't know right, if you know. And I remember in, in I was thinking about this since you since you invited me to, on the podcast and trying to think when did I first become aware that there was this thing called the Spanish Civil War, and I remember I'm cursed with a terrible memory with a great memory for pointless trivia in my life and I remember reading an article in military modeling back in the days when military modeling used to have war games in it right and there was an article in there by a guy called Robin Hunt which was all about his project to reconstruct and redo the Spanish Civil War and it was all these fantastic airfix kit airfix models that he modeled modified and cut around and just generally um turned into you know militiamen and, and all this kind of stuff and i've always had i don't know i've always had this interest in slightly obscure military campaigns right i don't know why i mean the first one i got interested in was the the first world war in germany east africa um which is about as out there as you can get it's off um, east yeah sorry a little bit yeah a little bit yeah. less and i don't know maybe i'm just contrary you know i kind of thought well, that was interesting um and read this article and i thought oh that's quite interesting and then uh went and bought from our local second hand shop a copy of um hugh thomas's spanish civil war you know the the canon almost you know the the sort of the doorstop the doorstop <laughs> Well, there, that's another. So I basically, I, I thought, I just thought like, and I read up, I'd seen some photographs of armored trucks and I built, I remember I had a, an Opal, plastic Opal from Airfix, you know, the one that used to come with the, the Pat 40. And I made it into an armored truck, right? And just by sticking cardboard on it and stuff like this. And we, I seem to remember we did a game of it at the club, but none of us really knew, you know, we, I kind of, and I just have a very vague memory of, of, of this of this particular game, and then started reading the Hugh Thomas book, and I'm afraid I kind of lost interest because I, if you've ever you must have read it or must have tried to read it, it the Civil War doesn't start until about half half the way through the book. Now you know how things are when you're a teenager; your attention span is not as long as it possibly could be. So I kind of gave up and kind of, you know. And then carried on, obviously, doing different red gaming, different periods and different things. And um, I've had quite a mobile life. So um, the next thing I went, what was the next time I did any gaming? Kind of moved, um, went to university in, in the Midlands. There was a really good, uh, in Coventry, there was a really good club there. Um, 
don't think I did any. Oh, no, I do remember, actually, the next time I, I came across this thing called the Spanish Civil War was a guy who had some war games south, 10 mil. Crikey, that's going back. <laughs> it is. It's, we're talking mid eight, well, late 80s, 88, yeah, 89, maybe. Yeah. Um, and he had some really some miniatures, and he had a copy of Arriba España by Bob Cordry. Um, and played the game, had a copy of the book, moved on, went off and did other things, didn't do a lot of gaming for a while. Um, then, gosh, what's next? So, yeah, moved back up north. Um, and I think the next time... Oh, and then the other thing, of course, is at about the same time, got involved in reenactment and living history. Late, again, late teens. English Civil War. Sealed not? No, English Civil War Society. Oh. Oh. Okay. The, the uh, opposition? Uh, not the opposition. Um, we're the splitters. We were the splitters. <laughs> okay. And okay. my reference splitters. to Monty Python is avowed. That's good. That's good. I'm there is that. a very much, you know, there are, there are animosities. I don't know if you know the reenactment scene, but there are no animosities between the ECWS and the SK going back to the early the late 70s and people are still not talking to each other really i'm listen I, i've always admired it but um I, i'm not up to date on on the politics I've, i'm aware that there's been uh, some rancor over oh, the years some well yeah <laughs> this is a real this is a living this is a war games podcast not a real yes. reenactment podcast so yeah. i'll try and stay focused right so i got involved in reenactment through leeds war games club Right, because I'm studying English Civil War at school, and I knew this guy at Leeds War Games Club, which I used to go to, um, who did the English Civil War Society, and he said, "Oh, you should come to a come to an event." And I did, and I got really into it. Went off to university, carried on doing a bit of gaming here and there, um, moved around various parts of the country, carried on reenacting for about ten, fifteen years life changed as it does um stopped doing it for a while um and trying to come back to when i next did some gaming i've been very lucky in the various various cities i've lived in i've always managed to find myself a really good club and i think anybody um i think some of your contributors have said the same thing that one of the keys to having good wargaming experiences is to find a club a good club so I've been fortunate when I lived in London uh, and then I moved up to Sheffield and you probably know that the, the Sheffield War Games Club is, you know, um, is one of the best around. Um, Certainly through triples, the, the show. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Back, back in the day, you know, I know you were talking to you talked to Pete Berry a while ago. Yeah. And I remember one of our one of the high points of the year was uh, going to triples for that for the weekend because Bright's always used to put on a really good participation game. And then um, had a really good party on the, on the, on the Saturday night, which was always worth going to. Um, and then where did I go next? I went from um, North of England, went to university, then moved out to London, started working in London, uh, too busy to do, be doing any gaming and um, doing much carried on doing living history for a while then moved uh, ended up back up in yorkshire 
um, and then moved to Sheffield again, moved, actually went to live in Sheffield, um, got involved again with the Sheffield Wargames Club while I was there. Um, and they had, or they, they don't have, they don't do triples anymore, do they? No, no, they don't. Unfortunately. Um, um, yeah, unfortunately. So went to the club because they Sheffield has had had at the time a really good kind of connection between. They had a great convention, they had a good war games club, and they had a really good war game shop as well. That's another uh, right. war games emporium. I know war games emporium. I've been there several times. Actually. A great club, um, great, great, great place, shop. Yeah. yeah. Um, and going to the going to the shop, meeting people like Martin Goddard from um, Peter Pig. Peter Pig, obviously. Yeah. Good um, friend of mine. Yep. Um, and getting to know the guys. There's some, a lot of the guys at the War Games Club were involved in War Games development. Um, people like uh, John Artist, Tim Gow, Martin Rapier. Um, and that's the next time I did any Spanish Civil War related wargaming. Because I don't know. Do you know Martin Rapier? Uh, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say because he did some um, variants of Peter Pig rules for the Spanish. He did, sport, yes, square bashing, uh, square bashing. and uh, AK forty seven Republic. Yeah. So that's why I, that's you know um, the next time I did any Spanish Civil War related gaming was was, was with Martin's stuff at the at the club. Um, by that time, I kind of stopped doing reenactment. And then the churn happens again. I end up down in uh, down in London, I'm not doing a lot of gaming for a while, um, and then moved on again. And so I ended up, by various means, by, for various reasons, moving to West Wales, moving to live in West Wales. And just before I ended up there, I'd been getting a bit a bit twitchy, a bit nostalgic for reenactment. I hadn't done it for about 10 years. And I saw, I used to make a point of every once in a while going into Smith's and flicking through the War Games and Military History magazines just to kind of. And I'd seen this article about this living history group called La Columna, who had just started, and they were the first reenactment group in the world, so far as anybody was aware, to start reenacting the Spanish Civil War. Right. So I drop. I thought, well, that looks cool. Maybe I should drop drop here. Maybe I should, you know, I've been feeling a little nostalgic for the whole uh, for the whole scene. Um, maybe I should just uh, drop on the line. So I sent him an email and I said, I'm going to be traveling around the country for a while. I'd love to meet up with you and sort of have a chat. And it just so happened I was in Birmingham and I, put, I was stop, stopped off in Birmingham, met up with one of the guys from the group, a fantastic guy called James and chatted about it. It all sounds really good. I'm a bit busy at the moment. You know, I'd definitely love to come to an event sometime. About six months later, well, early, this was in 2005, early 2006, I get another email from James saying, are you still interested? Would you like to come to an event? So I happened to be free, and I went to the show, and it was like I'd never been away. And it was like, why you know i've missed this so much started on and it was kind of the same with gaming because so i haven't done any wargaming for a long time and it so happens as you probably know reenactment and wargaming are quite closely connected there's a big venn diagram between the two the two things so started going regularly to spanish civil war events 
And then at around about the same time, I visited Spain for the first time. Right. And when you get your first shot of Spain, you either love it, you either hate it or you have to come back. Right. Right. And that's basically what happened to me. I'd come here. I came here for the weekend, had an amazing time. And I was like, I really want to come back here. And then about the same time, saw Ken Loach's Land and Freedom for the first time. And again, that's kind of, oh, that's an interesting film. What's all that about? So this is all kind of building up and I'm getting seriously hooked. Um, had been started coming rather than doing living history events in the UK, actually got invited to come and do them here. And just, just, just completely different to the way they are in the UK. Um, the scene at the time was only really just starting up when we started coming out here. And I'm just thinking, I, you know, it, once you've been, you, you have to keep coming back. And then I got the opportunity to retrain to become a teacher of English as a second language, which was basically, this is my opportunity to come here and, you know, get paid to live in a country that, you know, I'm completely fascinated with. Um, and as I say, with, with in terms of the wargaming, the kind of two things kind of flow together because most of the, most of the, I would say most of the living history people I know who are interested in the Civil War, an awful lot of them are also wargamers. Yes. And um, so they, the, the, the two things really kind of go together. Um, so about, well, I suppose, I've been living here on and off for the last 10 years or so. I've lived in other places and I've taught in other places, but I just keep coming back here. And then I was at home back in the UK, building up very, you know, getting back into building up various kind of war games collections. And I went on Facebook and I'm thinking there must be some page there. There must be something on there. Somebody must do Spanish Civil War related stuff. And there wasn't. And I think my, my partner at the time said to me, well, why not? Just do it. So I posted, I, I opened, started the group, Spanish Civil War Games, and posted a few pictures of some stuff that I'd been working on. Um, and that's really, and then ended up coming to live here or moving here uh, just before the pandemic hit. I came here. Um, most recent arrival to, uh, was literally six months before March the 13th right. when the pandemic hit. So I got here, work was going fine, and then suddenly COVID-19. So a bit started for some things to do. Um, and that sort of the Facebook page was just something for me to do and something for something to that other people seem to get more and more sort of interested in, uh, in the absence of anything else. Yes. So I'm probably missing loads of things out as you know, well, that's, yeah. a, that's a decent starter for 10. Okay, great. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I imagine that 
well, you tell me, there were, during your wargaming career, I guess there's been other periods that you've been involved in, but quite often you will find that there's one period that people will prioritise and, and favour above all others. Um, and there'll be many reasons for that. And my, my own, imp I'm, I'm probably most interested in civil wars full stop, regardless of, of where that civil war is. Civil wars fascinate me, the, the fact that countries... Uh, I think the link with me, as I said to you before, was, is, is obscurism, obscure, uh, you know, obscure conflicts. And I realised, you know, Spanish Civil War really shouldn't be obscure. It's a big conflict. Certainly, has still has an impact on 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 the U on Spain, but it really isn't known a lot about. I think it's still obscure in wargaming. Oh like, no, absolutely! I completely yeah. agree. With you. Yeah, yeah, and yet, well, we, we'll no doubt go on to talk about this, but it, it's got so much going for it, and particularly if if you've got any interest in European history in the early part in the first half of the twentieth uh, century, then it's pretty central to what happened uh, uh you know not too much later on uh you know a few years later so uh, for, for me i think um well, i was going to ask you 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 asked me why i'm you were going to ask me about why i'm interested you told me that your your interest has been long ago why where do you well, where, where are you so interested it, so it did start with my history teacher um, who was, uh, my history O-level was uh, Europe between 1870 and 1939. Um, and as... Well, we were so jealous of you. <laughs> we had to study, we, we did the Schools Council Project History, taught by a, a completely useless teacher. Um, and all the other people, the people who did German, got to do the period that you got to study. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing about it was that um, the the guy who, who taught that subject could probably have read the telephone book to us, and he would have had us eating out the palm of his hand. Oh, he was a good one. Was yeah, such cool. a charismatic character. I never once saw him with any notes in his hand. He didn't sit at his desk. He usually strode up and down the classroom, uh, quoting quoting Hitler's speeches and uh, Bismarck and the Treaty of Versailles terms of the... You know, My the history teacher taught the same lessons in the same order from the same notes as he'd made at uh, teacher training college. And he qualified 20 years before. So This, this, is, this, is, this is the essence of good teaching, isn't it? Absolutely. I think... Uh, My inspiration as a teacher is not to be like the sort of rubbish teachers I had. At school. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've, I've got, I've got lots of friends who are teachers, um, and I know the passion they have for their their individual subjects. But uh, Ian Wilson, who was my history teacher, unfortunately, is dead now. But he absolutely had me eating out of the palm of his hand in every single lesson that he, he delivered, um, and. We didn't do an awful lot, on, in fact, very little on the Spanish Civil War, but the, the relationship uh, with Mussolini and Hitler. Like the context. The Frank, yeah, the context of the rise of fascism. Yeah. Um, and we may get onto this a bit later on, whether or not Franco was a fascist. I know we've communicated about this already. But <laughs> but uh, that, that, that link, that triumvirate of uh, Hitler, Mussolini and Franco uh, as the as the leaders of the fascist ideology at the time i'm, I'm saying that with 
quote uh, quote marks in the air um just grabbed me uh and it but it wasn't until quite some time later that wargaming the conflict first came about because i was a young guy i was going to the club in stoke uh or the club at university and i, I was doing whatever they were doing to be honest i wasn't much of a um i wasn't much of a leader in the club i was more of a follower so if world war ii was the thing or if it was american civil war was the thing then i'd buy into that however um there's there's two things that happened one was martin rapier with um the square bashing variant and i'm going to butcher the pronunciation now of what he called it but it was something like quadro galpiando something similar you i don't think that's bad pronunciation to be honest is that you. all right i think that will do Okay, uh, you know what I'm talking about four, when I say that's two translates as four hits. Right, okay, okay. Quadro Galpiando, I think it was. Okay, well, it sounds okay. far more convincing from your end than it does coming out of my mouth. Yeah, However, exactly. uh, um, the other one was the same... uh, Mexikansky. Mexikansky 36. Yes. I think it was called, wasn't it? I had a feeling I might feature in some of the uh, the, the battle reports he put on his blog. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. He did one well, of the Corona Road, which... Uh... Oh, I played that several times. Yeah, several times. In fact, I took that down to uh, the Peter Pig show Fisticuffs in... Now, when would this have been? Probably early 90s. Somewhere early to mid-90s. It feels like was, yesterday, doesn't it? We're so old. We're so old. <laughs> uh, but that it was that was a different lifetime ago. It was a different wife ago for me. That was because uh, my ex-wife came down to that with me, and it was a two-day show. And I recently picked up from a bring and buy um, a large collection of fifteen mil Spanish Civil War figures. Okay, uh, which, must have, Peter which must have been Peter Pig, right? Yeah, absolutely, the Peter Pig. Yeah. Um, with some of the SDD armored cars and oh trucks. yeah, the red ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that that was great. So there was that, and then also, uh, and I, I'm I'm struggling on the chronology of this, but yeah. the regular miniatures released a 20 mil range. They did of, uh, Spanish Civil War. They did, um, which I've got a real charm to them. I'm, I still I still love those to this day. There's some of I would say there's some of the regular bear miniatures. I, I would agree, and some of the some of the figures are, are, are straight out of some of the photographs that you've you, you've seen. Um, there's a, a civil guard officer uh, in a cap, in a cape uh, with the the tricorn and a pistol in his hand. That's just wonderful. they've still got a picture of it on their website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so I bought a bunch of those as well, and I played. They span uh, irregular miniatures had a set of rules called. K Q U E as a sort of a play on Ian K's name, I guess, uh, and use cards for activation. Now that's the talk, talking about war games history. I do, I did actually get to know Ian K because living in Harrogate, you could pop and you know he, he invited us over, and I just went. And I remember just going and hanging out with him for a bit, and he's just like he, I, I remember coming home from my coming home from my visit, just like with a carrier bag full of samples that he'd given me. Really? Yeah, I just basically spent the day with him, and he was just like, "Oh, have this and have that and have the other," and it was just like, um, "But yeah, no, I never thought. Of course, it's K. Of course, it is. Yeah, yes. Never played yeah. the rules. I, yeah, I played them quite a bit, actually. Yeah, they have about two or three pages. I right. played them quite a bit, uh -huh. um, mainly solo. Actually, I can't quite remember why that was, but um, 
maybe I didn't have any friends back then. I, don't, I can't quite remember why that. Let's happened. be honest, the Spanish Civil War is is a bit of a niche. It is. It is a know. niche. And it one of the great niche. things about the internet is that those of us who inhabit these little obscure niches, uh, we finally realised that we're not on our own. Well, well, this is the point, because this was clearly pre-internet days. So your only connection with the hobby was the monthly magazines and the war game shows and, and your club. So, you know, that, that was the extent of my knowledge of the hobby, that my club played massive American Civil War games, massive Napoleonic games, and some World War II games. So that was my experience of wargaming, uh, unless there were some articles in the uh, magazines that interested me. Uh, and, and like you, Hugh Thomas was my first exposure uh, to literature of the Spanish Civil War. And I remember, I remember fighting my way through that book because like you if if a book says it's about the spanish civil war i want the spanish civil war to be starting and the fighting to be starting about page 10 but in actual fact it was probably 250 300 pages before uh, I, I i'm pretty i could probably check but i think you're right i think it it starts about to page 250 Okay, that wasn't a bad guess, but the, I, damn I, thing, the damn thing is about seven hundred pages long. Yeah, I haven't, I don't own a copy at the moment. Actually, it must have got chucked out in a in a in a clearance. But uh, yeah, so uh, I read it because I, I was fascinated. You by did better than I did. Well, <laughs> it it was all I got. I got that in the Osprey book, um, which is sat right in front of me, and I still quite enjoy looking at the Osprey book. Uh, but I wanted something a bit more. But I, as we say, that as time moves on, you get exposed to more literature about it. Uh, it becomes more widely uh, exposed in the hobby. Another interesting one, actually, mentioning triples. Um, I remember going to a triples, and this would probably be late nineties. No, I'd, I'd stopped. I may I may be wrong. It may be mid nineties. Can't quite. It's a long time yeah, ago. It, it, it's thirty it's plus fair. years ago. Yeah. But uh, Ali Morrison and Dave Andrews of uh, GW fame, yes. Games Workshop fame, put on a large Spanish Civil War game oh, right. uh, okay. in the main hall, okay. um, and it was a city-based game, and they got uh, they got large buildings, yeah, and yeah. scratch-built trucks and yeah. flags and figures, and it just looked magical. Yeah just look magical and so i think those th sort of three wargaming exposures there with the mm -hmm. uh, peter pig stuff the uh regular miniatures and then seeing that game sort of really kindled an interest mm -hmm. in gaming a period that I was very interested in mm. um and since then I i've i've owned figures in six mil i've owned figures in 28 mil yeah. uh 50 i've got still got a large 15 mil collection and i'm building up a 10 mil collection so i'm guessing Peter Pig, Empress, and um, uh, Pendragon. Yeah. <laughs> it's not difficult, is it? To, it it's, uh, you know, those three, uh, the Empress figures are just gorgeous. Well, that's the um, thing. I mean, there aren't that many mini many manufacturers producing miniatures for the Civil War. No, no. So there anybody's aren't any interested bad ones. in it. No, no, there that's right. No, no bad ones. No. All of the miniatures that, for all the different periods, even, you know, um, like I said to you, irregulars twenty mils. Are, some of some of irregulars can be a bit patchy, yep. but the twenty mils are first. Have you seen their six mils? Yes, six mils for the, for, for, from irregular are, are also outstanding. Yeah, 
really nice minis. Um, I have some behind me on the shelf. Yeah, so I mean, there's no, there aren't that many manufacturers that do Spanish Civil War specific stuff, but somehow they're all really nice. They're all really good. Um, you know, you know, Empress, just some of the best. I mean, Paul Hicks though. You know, <laughs> this is one of the most talented uh, sculptors around. Um, and in fact, I know. One, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that. Well, he told me. Well, not not him, but the guy. Who's the guy that runs Empress? I, I don't know his name. I'm afraid. I've I've heard he him on a podcast. Actually, used to be Anglian. Yes. Is a big. Uh, he was a big SK seal nutter. And when they did the range for the Spanish Civil War, they used a lot of photographs of us, of La Columna, of the Spanish Civil War Living History Group. And I was at salute or something like that and i i was dressed up and i was kind of wondering about it. and he said i've got a miniature here looks like you <laughs> so if you look yeah. at the empress range yes um most of the certainly most of the republicans are good and close personal friends of mine <laughs> um, okay and the so other can you thing pick is, them out can you uh yes i could probably tell you who they are um my i'm not sure if the one he said was me is was me um and the other one was god what are they called um is it north star yes north star did a very small range of international brigaders um because they did win with miniature war games they did a display game of the Harama, of uh, the British Battalion at the Harama. And they basically, we they were at Kelmarsh, which is a big living history show that we used to go to. And they did their display game. And they told us that basically they'd gone on our website and looked, they were looking for the backs. So they basically looked at our website to get the webbing and the backs and stuff, the, the backs of their miniatures right. Um, so yeah, no, it, as I say, the Empress, Paul Hicks, I bumped in, actually, no, I bumped into Paul Hicks at a comic convention, uh, comic con in London. And he kind of came up to me and he said, that's a bit, and I was dressed up because, you know, you get these, you know, comic cons, you get all these cosplayers and stuff. Yes. I happened to be there in my Spanish Civil War kit because, you know, right. give, me, give me an excuse to dress up and <laughs> Clothing. And, and he said that's a bit niche isn't it and i said what do you mean and he said uh he said uh spanish civil war at a comic convention and i said well yeah and he said and so that's nice to be recognized and he said well yeah i um i'm a figure designer and i was like oh uh what who do you design for and he said oh i design for empress and I was like, really Oh, okay. Um, oh, you're that cool. You're you're that guy. Um, and the like you say, his miniatures are their miniatures are, are, are beautiful. Um, it's, it's a bit rich, isn't it? Saying you're a bit niche when you're surrounded by Spider Man, Wonder Woman, <laughs> yeah, Spider Man, and you're you're dressed as a, a soldier from the 1930s. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. As you say, that that is a bit rich. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing with with empresses. Um, I'm a terrible painter. <laughs> I'd just be wasting my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. I would I could not yeah. in a million years do justice to the um, to those miniatures. Um, do you know what? Do you know what, uh, Bob? This scare me. This scare oh me. god, I, yeah. I brought some. Um, uh, this is completely off topic, but I brought some twenty-eight mil uh, Vietnam figures um, from Gringo Forty, uh, and they're sort of based around the Hue. Uh, uh, I think was it Tet Offensive, nineteen sixty-eight. Um, and I have to say, they're some of the most beautiful sculpted figures that I have ever seen. I don't know who their sculptor is, but they're some of the most beautiful figures. And there's painted examples on the website. And you think, crikey, that, that would be great. Just get a handful of them. But they scare me because they're just so nice. Yeah, I think. Sure, sure. I, I'm completely, completely with you on that, you know. If I put if I put paint on this, I'm going to ruin it. Yeah, I'm just going to be blemishing this beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing, though, with the Spanish Civil War, with with any, I'm probably going to get into a lot of trouble. Don't worry, we don't but, mind a bit of controversy. Well, with the 20th century, 28 mils just looks a bit silly. <laughs> you know, this is not. This, I'm actually quoting one of my very good friends, Piotr, who is also on the page. Um, and you might have seen some of his painting work. And I was trying to explain, you know, why. Yeah, there's these beautiful figures. And he said, but the thing is, with 28 mil, it just looks slightly ridiculous. Um, when you've got 28 mil miniatures, your table, if you've got like a three foot table or a six, even a six foot by four table. You've got weapons that can kill you. At like half a mile. Um, and it's kind of we were talking before about kind of not about your somebody not being particularly keen on commercial war gaming. I've always had a bit of a thing about our friends at Games Workshop. Right, you're in the 40th century, right, the 40th millennium, and you've got super soldiers firing at one another with rocket-propelled whatevers, and you can miss at a scale range of about two feet. Right. Yeah. And yeah, to I'm me, completely a with you. Table of you know you can edit this out if you like because no 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 nothing's getting I'm, edited. I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing the big boys here, right? Yeah, yeah. Go forward. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of feel the same way about bolt action. Yeah. Right. Which has got a lot of people interested in the in the hobby. Some of the miniatures are really cool, and you know some of the some of that is is, is really nice. But we're talking about the 20th, like I say, we're talking about a conflict, conflicts in the 20th century where you'd have a fairly good chance of killing someone at half a mile. And it just doesn't look right. I think the adage goes, doesn't it, that if if, if you can be seen, you can be killed. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the earliest histories of, the twi of, of, you know, one of the earliest kind of academic works on warfare in the 20th century was, was called The Empty Battlefield. Um, because, like you say, if you if you if you if you, something's gone wrong, if the enemy can see you, and it's not going to be good for you. Um, so yeah, the, the, as I say, I, mean, I think mostly it's the fact that, like you said, you know, I'm intimidated by the quality of the sculpting, and smaller scales can be, shall we say, a little bit more tolerant. Yes, more forgiving. Absolutely. Let's let's. Um... We're, let's just part wargaming just for a second. We'll come back to that shortly. Um, 
but let's just talk a bit more about the conflict itself then um because it is a niche interest area and period and I suspect the vast majority of listeners will have a general idea that Franco was involved in it as fascist versus essentially communists, uh, left v right, um, and that you had some, some would say brave, some would say foolhardy types who who uh, formed the international brigades and, and assisted the, the, the government uh, that had been deposed or... or well, there's different views on it. Let's, I won't go into the politics or, or display any sort of leanings <laughs> towards the political uh, sides of it. But it's a very political landscape, wasn't it, That uh, w- which was very divided and obviously uh, led to the conflict. But, um, what would you say then for you is the thing that grabs you about this, this period? Because there's lots of, as war gamers, we're... We have the whole span of human history to go at. And uh, your principal interest and the fact you set up a Facebook group is around three or four, five years. Yes. In the middle we of actually had, our, I didn't realise this, but our anniversary, fifth anniversary is 27th of March. So we've actually been going just over five years. Well, that's good timing for the yeah, podcast. Yeah, no, I completely. I, only, I only realised this when when you asked me to do the podcast. I thought I'd yeah. find out how long I've been doing this. Yeah, and um, it's, it's, it's doing well, isn't it? I mean, it's over, uh, is it over 700 members you've got on there? So. Yeah, at this rate, if we carry on going, we'll be, we will be up to 1,000 in the next two years. Right, that's great. Well, 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 we'll, certainly, we'll certainly plug it, uh, you know, as part of this podcast and... And get a few more people interested in it. That's the idea that we're going to generate some interest in the Spanish Civil War. So uh, why am I? Why yes, yes. What grabbed you about it? Yeah, and kind of ties in. Like I said to you before, I've always had an interest in slightly out there conflicts. Um, and in. I don't know, they kind of tie in because Spanish Civil War um, reenactment and and, uh, re- and, and, and wargaming kind of went together. Um, it, it's a very difficult, it's kind of an addiction. You know, the more you, the more you fight that, uh, Somebody asked Robert Harris, you know, the, the novelist and the historian, why are you still interested? Why are you so interested in, in, in World War Two? And he said, why aren't you? Right. <laughs> what and, a great answer. Yeah, no, it's, it is a very good answer. Yeah. Um, and yes, I am very interested in World War Two. But what interests me about the Spanish Civil War is how not the similarities. It's the differences and the fact that the different aspects of the Civil War from gaming terms give you all the different things that you that you could possibly want. So, for example, if you're the sort of person who really likes colonial war gaming, right? Certainly the earlier, earlier, the first six months of the Spanish Civil War could be seen as almost like a colonial conflict. Right. If you like colourful uniforms, you like, you know, 
um you know you like uh weird weird and wonderful units you like homemade armored cars you like all that kind of stuff kind of diy if you like making picking up a, a like a, a broken truck and turning it into an armored truck you can do that you know if you're a painter if you like minute if you like painting colorful miniatures as we said before you've got some really beautiful miniatures out there to to really fill your boots on um but on the other hand if you've got an interest in kind of military history you can look at the origins like we said you know you can look up some of the things that happened in world war ii happened first in spanish civil war so if you're interested but if you're interested in you know skirmish gaming plenty of that if you want some bigger battles you know with 100 you know eighty thousand men um they're big enough to be proper battles because one of the things as a game i've always been interested in is is either the really small scale so like the squad or actual battles and you know full-on um you know real battles because the the mid middle point really it's kind of artificial if you get me um if you wanted to do the harama for example and to have a meaningful because a lot of war games periods they sort of take you know you've got the napoleonic brigade action napoleonic brigade actions are actually quite rare but in the civil war you could actually take a discrete action at brigade level like for example the harama right have a brigade action and it would actually be quite close to what happened in the real battle and then you've also got things like you know if you like if you're interested in naval combat if you're interested in air combat it's all there it's all there and a little bit and i think a lot of like a lot of us geeks like to be sort of we like to find out little obscure differences and the spanish civil war has got all of them like i said if you want to fight if you want to fight dog fights if you want to fight you know naval actions um if you want to fight you know skirmishes you want to fight you know core level engagements the spanish civil war's got it it's got urban yeah the house to house yeah yeah you know um and some really beautiful miniatures you know yes player yeah there's lots of really beautiful miniatures for lots of different periods but as we said as, as i said before i think even though there's not many miniatures many manufacturers doing the spanish civil war the ones that are doing it are really gorgeous and i must say you know in as well as the 20 mil irregular ones there's a company called minerons yes catalan yeah. company yeah outstanding that, stuff louis, louis i think the guy's yeah. name is. um outstanding there and another one oh, what was that? And, and there's a new one have you seen baraka no no i'm not aware of them they're on the page I mean, one of the nice things about the, about running the facebook page has been managing to get all the people all the companies and all the people who are manufacturing and writing rules um to at least be you know following the group um and no baraka are they they're at the moment they're doing riff war 
I've, uh, I've seen 90s. some figures. I've noticed there's some mounted figures. I think. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean. Uh, yes, they are yeah. just they're outstanding, gorgeous, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I was having a bit of an exchange with them the other uh, a couple of days ago, saying, "Oh, are you any chance you're going to do any Spanish Civil War stuff?" I said, "Yes, eventually, but we we really, you know, we are hobbyists. We we haven't got time yet. We haven't done it yet. But please, they've also done a really good rule system. Um, so." Yeah, I don't know. It's got all you need. And actually, in terms of financial outlay, it's of a scale that you don't need. You could have a good game at a relatively low cost. Um, and it also, I think, with gaming, reading about the war and a good set of rules can help you to understand what you're reading about. You know, which is probably going to over-intellectualize what we do. But, you know, you were reading an account of a battle. And then if you have a decent set of rules and you kind of game it. And you start to get more of an idea of what was really going on. I, I, I don't think it does over-intellectualize it, to be honest. Because I, I almost think they go hand in hand. I, I, I don't know a single war gamer that hasn't got a vast collection of books on whatever subject that they choose. And the idea that you can read about whichever conflict you're interested in and then find a set of rules that satisfies your concept of what you've read about on the tabletop is, for me, that that's, that's my purpose of wargaming. And I think also you can tell, I've always thought with, with wargames rules that the best for me the best way to judge a set of rules is if you can play a scenario that you've got from reality and it kind of you end up with a historically justifiable result um not necessarily the same result and i remember when i was living in manresa and i was i was i started doing some game scenarios for the Harama. Right? And the set of rules I'd got a, got a hold of was Bob Cordry's Portable War Game. Yes. Yeah, I've got that. Um, and as we said before, you know, Bob Cordry's been writing about the Spanish Civil War for um, as long as I can remember. Um, and I set up the scenario. And I remember I was reading through the, the account. There's an account of the Harama by Tom Wintringham, who was the British battalion's commander of the, uh, of the battle. And I was reading through it. It's a very good source. And I'm reading through it. And there was one particular point where he describes how his companies start getting bunched up on this on Suicide Hill. Right. And I'm playing it using the portable war game. Um. And in the portable war game, there's a mechanism whereby when a unit takes a hit, depending on how well trained it is, it can either take a hit or retreat. Right. But it can't retreat if there's something behind it. Right. If the space is a grid system. So if, you, if, the, if the grid behind it is um, is occupied, you have to take the hit. Right. And that's exactly what happened. And while I was playing this, and I read this, and I was like, that's 
basically describing what happened on the actual battle. And, you know, Puerto War Memory, they're not a complicated set of rules, but they are really subtle enough and they are flavorful enough to give you, you know, and I, and I, you know, and I think if a set of rules, if you behave, if you do, if you behave or you get what your, your troops, your miniatures to do something, and if the result of doing, trying to do that is historical, then that's going to be a good set of rules. You know, and I must have played the Harama through more times than I care to remember. But every time, the result has been historically justifiable. Yes. If you see what I mean. Yeah. It's a plausible so, outcome. Yeah, well, a plausible outcome, but a, a, a historical outcome. More often than not, it's been the same outcome. Um, and you kind of, I mean, I remember once, what was it, um, doing one once, where if you read if you read the account and you believe some of the accounts of what happened, what's supposed to have happened at the Harama, it couldn't have happened. Because... If you believe what they wrote, what the, the people who were there wrote. So, for example, Tom Wintringham describes being under fire from two German machine gun battalions. Right. If you create an order of battle based on the accounts of one side, so the, the, the British, if you like, the British battalion wouldn't have lasted five minutes. So you kind of find yourself thinking, well, this is what they thought was going on. But if you actually look at the sources from the other side and you kind of edge towards a better understanding of what really happened. Um, and as I say, with a decent set of rules, to me, the best judge of a set of rules is if I do, if I do with, if I try to do with my miniature men this, and it either succeeds for a historical reason, for a justifiable reason, or if it fails for a historical reason, that's got to be a get, got to be a you know a judge of a good set of rules. You know, I mean, every time we've done this, we've every time we've done the Harama recently, it, it basically ended up the same way, um, and it's ended up more or less the way we did a, an anniversary uh, event for the. 12th of February for the Harama and we pretty much had the same result as actually happened on the same on the day as you know in reality so yeah you, you can't ask anything more from a set of rules than to give you that feeling at the end of the game can you yeah I mean I, I'm I'm fortunate in that when I mean, we've been running we were running these sort of regular uh, Sunday evening kind of um, gatherings like online Venice of War games and I'm fortunate the guys who, who have been involved they're not about winning because let's be honest if you if, if you if you're the sort of competitive player who wants to win then don't get yourself a Republican army the I mean the fact of the thing about Civil War is the fact that the Republic held on for as long as it did is quite miraculous um it's a bit, I don't think it's a period that lends itself to kind of competition. No. Um, you know? I mean, that, to be Unless honest. Unless you're a masochist. 
<laughs> well, to be honest, um, it you've you've hit the nail on the head there, which is my approach to wargaming that the outcome, whether I'm the winner or the loser, is immaterial. It's the experience. Um, it's 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 purely coincidence that I lose far more games than I ever win um, because I'm I'm there for the the academic experience. Yeah, no, I think that's <laughs> And I'm right. saying this, I'm trying to keep a straight face saying this because I'm pretty crap when I play these games. But uh, the the uh, the understanding and learning that you can get out of playing a certain set of rules in a certain period and thinking, yeah, that is a plausible outcome there. That could have happened if this if if this officer had made this different decision. And that, I think that's what that's all that you can ask out of any set of rules that it, it would give you that experience. And Har- the Harama is is of particular interest to me at the moment because that's how so. That's, well, j- just by fact, by dint of fact, that's the game I'm built. There's a scenario in the British Commander uh, rulebook. Uh, yeah. Sorry, in this in the Spanish supplement Libertad yeah. uh, that I'm building the the forces for. So wow. uh, on receiving that, I thought, well, that's a, that's an absolutely iconic engagement during the war. Um, it is. It's the first scenario in in the supplement, so uh-huh. that's the one I'm going to build my forces for uh, yes. in this fledgling new collection in 10 mil uh, that I've made a start on using the Pendragon figures. Now, up until up until now, my uh, uh, gaming in the Spanish Civil War over the last few years has been using the Peter Pig rules, yeah, uh, bayonet and ideology. Uh, and I've got uh, a anarchist force and a uh, regular army uh, Francoist force. The thing about uh, the regular regular army is you can use them for both sides. Exactly. Yes. There's the you know the the kit is the same, isn't yeah. it? It's it's absolutely. But if you really the, want to go to the stage of painting on a little like um, a Republican or fascist rosette, that's up to you. Or you could just change the flags. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So they, they are multi-purpose, but they've been designed as the opponents for the anarchist uh, militia uh, that I've, I've built. Um, and what, what's quite interesting is, and I, I love, I, I've had a little bit to do with the playtesting of Bayonet and ideology. And I've always enjoyed grid-based games. Uh, they aren't uh, alien to me. Uh, and, and Peter Pig's games mm-hmm. uh, are all... Most of them are, aren't they? I don't think... Yeah. Is, I well, think AK-47 is the only one that isn't, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, the early games, so the American Civil War, War of Independence, uh, Samurai games, but we're talking sort of 15 years old now, so anything post AK, the new version of AK-47 is all square-based, uh, including Vietnam and Vikings and this sort of thing. But uh, this the Spanish Civil War game is based around uh, the their World War II set called PBI, uh, a lot of the mechanics are very similar. No, I have a uh, copy of it. I've probably got more, more. I've, I've, I've almost, I've definitely got a bigger collection of rules than anything else. Yeah, and I've got a bigger collection of rules than I've played. Oh God, <laughs> I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, um, I've got more rule sets than I've played. Absolutely, definitely. But uh, what was interesting in those rules? I, I really enjoy them, and they're, they're basically based around an urban sort of area. There's lots of buildings on the table. Is that the anarchist militia just by dint of numbers tend to do really well uh, because they can overwhelm um, more uh, professional troops uh, and it's difficult to get uh, it's very niche though that 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 because i was looking at this i've been trying to basically work out 
various ways of fighting real battles from the Civil War. And the situation that's depicted in that game, because it's really low level, isn't it? It's like company level, isn't it? Yeah, it says that you've got a company on the table, yeah. And it says quite specifically in this in the introduction, if you want to do open field stuff with lots of artillery, these are not the rules for you. So, I mean, the other thing, another thing about the Civil War is there is a major focus on the first six months. Understandably, because that's where there's all the colour, right? That's where you've got your anarchist militia in the nice hats and the, and the raquetes and all that kind of stuff. And then, like I say, the, the sort of 30s sci-fi armour and all this kind of thing. But if you go from basically January 37 through to the end of the war, it's a whole other thing. And I think one of the nice things with, with, with when um, Martin did his two sets, he basically did... Um, AK for Mexikansky. Mexikansky is perfect for that first column warfare period of the war. And square bashing, or the Cuatro Copelando, whatever it was called, is really good for the rest of the war. So, uh, I mean, they're nice because I think they've changed. I, I, I think I had a copy of the, of the first edition of Bayonet and Ideology. And they're quite different because I've got a copy. I was looking at it the other day. I think there's actually been three versions of it. You know, I think the original version was a, a traditional war game with tape measures and dice, and then uh, the first gridded version was really just um, their World War Two rules reskinned. Uh, but the the current version of Bainitz and Ideology is uh, quite a separate thing. Really, it shares a few mechanics with PBI. Uh, the World War Two set, but it's it's really a, a different. There's a lot of different concepts, different tables. You know, this is one of the things about the Civil War. Is, is, is you know you've got so many different things that you can get into, and you can. It depends on what you're in, what you're interested in. Yeah, and uh, you're right, absolutely. I think the the experience I've had and seen is that people will be playing the the anarchist militias or the, the various militia types against. Uh, the, the more regular troops in the early part of the war because they want the armoured cars, they want these fancy uh, looking tru or very odd looking trucks rather uh, which I suspect didn't do very well out in the countryside They were got the major awful Yeah, yeah the, They I were mean, a disaster they were, they were basically designed to drive up a street weren't they? And yeah, so, so they, they, they were really, you know there is a um, uh, there has been a, a fairly cogent argument made that by commandeering all these trucks and turning them into less than ideal armoured vehicles, that the Republicans basically denied themselves access to valuable, much-needed logistics. Because if you turn a, tr a, a truck into a tank, it's not being a truck. Yeah. So You're you know, the important you can't get your men, or well, you're, more importantly, your ammunition and your supplies and your logistics, um, because it might be boring and it might not be very colourful. But if you need to move ammunition for your artillery, or you need to give your get your men water, it it it, and your truck has been turned into a an improvised armoured vehicle. Yeah, it might looks cool on the TV or looks cool in the news, but it's not really much use. With an, a nice political slogan painted oh, yeah. on the side, yeah, yeah.
Yeah, and then, and from a wargaming perspective, uh, the lovely pieces to have. Peter Pig do, I think, probably half a dozen uh, of the, of these vehicles, and I think we mentioned SDD back in the day. They've long gone now, but SDD had all the various types of uh, armored trucks that were developed. Um, but you are really looking at. Um, I mean, they weren't mass-produced, were they? Let's face it. There were very few numbers of the various designs that were created, and um, yeah, I suspect uh, post January thirty-seven, they they were very of very little use out in the open Absolutely. countryside. And the, no, there's the a, they're, 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 you're absolutely right. You know, you don't see them in the photographs past um, past late past the end of thirty-six. Just, just staying on the focus of the conflict as opposed to the gaming of it, though, for the just for the moment, um, it's is that I'm I'm interested in what is that that overall thing that would grab. So if if you've got a new war gamer walking into a show and Empress miniatures are in front of them and they see some beautiful figures for the Spanish Civil War. What would be the selling point of this conflict in particular? What, the, what do you think are the selling points of it? Not as a war game particularly, but as a period of history that somebody would look at those figures and think, oh, I know nothing about the Spanish Civil War, but I'd, I'd like to know about it. What What do you think is the thing that just captures the essence of, of why this is such an interesting conflict? If I was going to put on a participation or share a table, for a show. Firstly, I'd probably dress up, right? And I'd have the music on. Because there's something about political Spanish, the music of the period, that is just catchy, right? I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Um, first Spanish I ever learned was the the first, uh, the opening bars of um, Alas Balicadas, which is the first music you hear in A Land of Freedom. Um, let, let me just say that film is one of my favourite films. Oh no, completely. Yeah, yeah I mean it's, it's there are lots of issues with it, um, lots of issues with it, but still, no, it's genius. It's really, really good. I had the very, the great honour of meeting Ken Loach once. Oh, okay. Um, at a showing of of Land and Freedom in London, and yeah, there's issues. Um, As somebody who's, who, I, I suspect your knowledge of, well, I, I absolutely certain your knowledge of uh, Spain and the, the era is far greater than mine. I, 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 I'm not aware of these issues and enjoy it for what it is. And I'm aware that clearly any any war film, uh, you know, get put, gets, uh, yeah, for me, you have to take it for what it is. But clearly the, the, the experts within it can pull, issue, have issues with, the portrayal or, or the uniforms or the, the wherever the action is supposedly taking place. I, I understand that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm unaware of it. The issues with land and freedom are, could probably fill another another podcast. Well, maybe we'll use that in the, in, uh, to tempt you back onto the podcast. Well, I'd uh, be happy to come back. Um, yeah. But so just, just on, on that part, so you, you say about dressing up and putting that music on. Yes, so. in terms of the, it would be the colour. And I, I understand, I, although I personally have my issues with the fact that a lot of what 
the gaming and a lot of the miniatures and a lot of even you know things like osprey and all this kind of stuff emphasize what is actually a relatively short period at the beginning of the war that would be where you get your hook that would be where you'd get your this is something completely different completely alien you know and i'd emphasize the differences between because at the end of the day the vast majority of the combat in the spanish civil war is fought by conscripts it's fought in actually quite boring <laughs> if you you know unless you're a sad geek like me um it's not as and i i mean i do as i say i have my issues with that whole emphasis on you know you look at something like that osprey book that you were telling me about where i think about a third of it is militia right and you've got that classic militia in mono with the party hat on and stuff that look probably lasted about a month right because believe me you do not want to be in a spanish winter wearing a cotton boiler suit <laughs> and a pair of ropes out ropes old sandals right um but i do understand the whole thing with the flags right and with banners and standards and all this kind of vibe right it looks great but whether that's actually an accurate reflection of what was really going on <clears throat> during the spanish civil war um is another thing but in terms of trying to say to people why is this an interesting period um and why should you be interested and again also in terms of an outlay because it's quite a small scale you can fight a, a, an actual real battle with a relatively small outlay in terms of um uh financial outlay and you also like we said you know you've got some of the world's most beautiful miniatures yeah and uh, i'm testament to that really because this i don't know how close the order of battle for the harama is in libertad uh to to the real thing i don't know how much license has been taken with it but the, certainly the forces for that scenario are, are relatively cheap to purchase for that chosen rule set um where you've got probably a couple of battalions aside um re give or take um and the amount of figures that you're going to have on the table is still reasonable but achievable within quite a short space of time so it is some and and you've got the the army of africa uh, moroccans there as well so there's a, a splash of color so uh, that, that's a nice aspect of it but if if you've put this game on and you, you're you're dressed up in you what was your reenactment unit we're called lack alumna but um, if i have a variety of impressions right okay uh, depending on what on what we were what the battle i've had this sort of ongoing idea for a a display at um uh conventions and it's inspired basically by pete berry because back in the day as you remember the 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 brights used to do a participation game and they used to do it as a promotion for their rule sets you know like file leader or once upon a time in the west country and there's a promotion for brights as their reenactment group so i've got this kind of concept for a similar thing whereby to raise awareness 
want to get people interested in periods as a whole as reenactment and rules and stuff like this is to put on this display whereby you can come along um also inspired by again do you remember soldiers of the queen yes i do jg stanion yeah in the derby club this is another game they put on and i remember they put on a game at, at triples which really inspired me they had a table 15 mil and they had the table looked like it was the same table but it was divided into six blocks and you could play a game for i think they were off the top of my head they were they had a boxer section they had a boer section they had an ashanti section and a couple of others and they'd done it so well that you could either play one of the games on the table or you could play around and you could play all of them uh, throughout the day so my sort of idea would be to have something like that but instead of having the same miniatures different theaters you could have a i don't know a skirmish level of the civil war you know using you know one-to-one -one sort of thing like that and then you could have another table similar small scale with maybe six mil or three mil with something bigger right and then a naval one and an air combat game and you could either as a participant you could come along and play the game and the idea would be to then if you wanted to you could take away a set of the rules with i don't know some counters or whatever do you remember when again another talking about another part of war, war games history you remember the battle games books yes yeah from osborne yeah my corner yeah. got this idea of putting together one of those for the civil war so you could get the game and you get basically they had four games in them for different aspects they did they had a world war ii one they had a naval one knights was another one and to put together something like that so that people coming to a convention coming to a playing a participation game the games would all have to obviously to be designed to play in you know half an hour or an hour at, at tops and you could play it and you could you know play either one game or you know if a dad wanted to come along and basically leave his kids because that happens a lot you know participating games dad want to come along leave his kids while he goes off and does the shopping um and I think that would be how I would, you know, jump in, play the game. Um, this is what the Civil War is about. And the point about the book would be to have a little bit of kind of writing, a little bit of a rundown on what the Civil War was about. Um, hopefully a little bit more concise than Hugh Thomas. <laughs> yeah. so, no, that would be how I, I think, you know, and another another... I think most of them, you know, these periods, the people within wargaming and stuff like that, I wish there would be a TV show. Um, because I think most of the periods that get really popular or become sort of suddenly become really like, for example, Band of Brothers or um, I have a feeling that the uh very british civil war guys are going to get a bit of a boost from uh, peaky blinders for example 
Um, and the nearest thing we've got, I think, is is probably um, uh, Land and Freedom or something like that. But I don't know. That's an interesting question. How would I attract people? A lot of colour. Something a bit different, I think. Um, I mean, we always used to get living history shows in the UK. We were the ones who weren't in khaki. So you'd get, you know, you'd have the, I don't know, you'd have your Panzer Grenadiers and your Home Guard and, your, you know, your paratroopers and all that kind of stuff. And then people would come over and they'd see all our flags and the hats and stuff and go, what's this all about? This looks different. And I think that would be, although from a point of view, as, as I've said, you know, you're, I'm probably more interested in the rest of the war, but if you're trying to sell something and you're trying to get people interested in a period, that might be the gateway drug. But what about though the the aspect of away from the battlefield and the the more strategic level? Um, because one thing that always strikes me when I, I read about the war is it, it's a it's a grim affair. I know that's perhaps an obvious phrase to use uh, when we're talking about war and in particular mm -hmm. civil war. Oh no, the civil war is particularly bad. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, it really is nice. unremittingly grim, isn't it? Oh, Particularly yeah. away from the battlefield. But you said you'd read uh, Spanish Holocaust. Well, uh, I can't think of a more perfect example, yeah. but the, the massacres that took place behind the front lines oh, yes. by both sides i think mm -hmm. i think it's you you may correct me here but i think it's widely accepted that there was more uh massacre of civilian massacres of civilians on the nationalist side than there was by an order of about um 10 times yes yeah so i think that's i think i'm not too far off the mark there to say that uh there was more on the nationalist side however regardless of that um it, it's it's a grim it was a grim time uh, for, Grimmer than most, I'd say. for the Spanish people. Um, and you've got this classic um, clash, or, the, or really not the classic clash, the, the first real clash of the far left and the far right um, that, that affected just about everybody in the country, whether you're a peasant or uh, a, a government official. So if, if, if people came to you and said, "Well, why is why is this this of interest, and why should I look to uh, gain the the battlefield actions when all of this horribleness was going on in the background?" What what's your answer there? What what do you think that is that sort of the pull to to bring people in to get interested in that more global aspect of what the war was? That, as I always tell my students, is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not suggesting there's a good answer to it. No, no, you really, it's a really thought-provoking. Um, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's war is not very nice. Yeah, full stop. Okay. Yeah, full stop. You know, some are probably more brutal than others, and as yeah. you know, as you say, you know, civil wars tend to be. Um, but there's been this big discussion within the within the historiography of the civil war that on the one hand you've got the left you've got the people who lost 
essentially. And they've got their historiography about it and um, their kind of way of their story that they tell about it. And on the other hand, and Giles Tremlett, who wrote a book called The International Brigade, which is really worth a read. I've got it, yes. Yeah. Really good. Um, yeah. I heard a sort of interview with him and he said that one of the things he'd found was that the, the military side of the Civil War was a way of talking about the Civil War that kind of depoliticizes it. Interesting. Because the people who tend to be interested in that aspect of it are more or less conservative. Yeah. If you like. One of the reasons that a lot of the, the stuff that's been written about the Civil War in English isn't particularly useful when it comes to one, the sort of stuff that we'd be interested in is because of that. Because I think people on the left tend to be understandably not particularly keen on, on the details of the military they're more interested in the politics and about all of that kind of stuff right. um and the brother well, was saying that the, the it was interesting that he was able to engage the people who are interested in that kind of stuff more easily by talking about the military details if you see what i mean yeah i think it's a very as i say it's a very good question um the, re the reason I ask it, Bob, is because um, generally when I, w the periods of history that I'm most interested in, my reading goes beyond the battlefield. Yes, of course. And I, I'm sure this is true for most war gamers that you, you want to know what the social situation was, what was the political situation, what was the domestic situation in the home uh, for people who, and particularly because of my interest in civil wars full stop, whether that's Spain, whether it's uh, Russia, whether it's wherever. Um, yeah, I want to know, how does this conflict affect society? How does it affect the family unit? How does it affect the politics, both pre, during and after the conflict? Um, and that, that isn't a story that's told, that isn't a story that's told on the battlefield. That's often a story that's told at the hearth or at the dinner table or or in the the relevant parliament building so that that that's the reason for the question to say um what what is it about and I, I, i'm not sure i've got the perfect answer for this because it's an almost intangible element that drew me to spain well i think the fact it's taken me a long time to fail to answer your question i you know demonstrates that i'm i feel exactly the same way i don't really know yeah, and do you know, do you know what? Something I mentioned this actually in the last podcast with Andy Rawson. Um, I've got a very abiding because he lived in Spain for a while uh, himself. Um, I've got an abiding memory of the coup that took place, uh, and I want to say late seventies or early eighties. Nineteen eighty-one. Eighty-one. So I've got an abiding memory of that being headline news, and and I'd, I'd have been eleven. Colonel Tercero. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. The, of these soldiers entering the Spanish Parliament building and an uproar being caused, and also the fact that when did Franco die? Seventy four, seventy five, seventy five. So up until seventy five, you've still got in power ostensibly a fascist dictator that outlived Hitler and Mussolini and was in my died lifetime. In yeah, most so, most second most uh, second longest lasting fascist dictator in Europe. So 
that's something that's in my lifetime and in my experience. So that sowed a seed, but even back then, to say there's something interesting that was going on in Spain. And also because Spain is probably the European country I've been to most, or one of the islands or the environs of Spain. So if I see an old lady in the street in a Spanish city, I know that she's probably got stories that she could tell. No, I had a conversation with my one of my students the other day, um, who's what, mid-teens, and we're doing a thing about food. And one of the lessons, the question is, how has food in your country changed since your grandparents were children, right? And I'm thinking, obviously, because I quite often get students telling me that their grandparents are about the same age as me, which we can. <laughs> and she said, well, my grandparents are in their 80s. All right, okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. So she oh, that's said, interesting. <laughs> when, so when my grandparents were children, they had, I don't know how you say in English. And I said, you mean the Civil War? And she said, yes. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I completely, um, incidentally, as an aside, um, if you are interested in the cook, one of the greatest history books I have ever read is a book called An Anatomy of a Moment, which is about that day. Right, okay. Is there um, an English language version? Yeah, there is. Oh, very much so. Yeah, there's it's English language. There's an audio book. Um, I'll just check. I'll give you the, I can send you the ISBN. It Please is do. fascinating. It's a really, it's a very unusual book. It's not a conventional history, but it is. And it, it, it literally it looks at that moment where Tejero is, is in the Cortez firing his pistol in the air and what's going to happen. And it, it, it is brilliant. And um, so I'm the same, you know, I did, you know, you always got this sort of, you know, what's been going on. And like I say, like you say, you know, we, we, we are old enough to remember when Franco died. I do. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. I don't know. I do. Re I think I remember seeing some guy in a military uniform on the TV saying Franco a muerte. You know, Franco is dead. And I'm what, five at the time. And well, the, the, the point for me there, Bob, is that that, that is living history, isn't it? Mm. You've got that mm. memory. Now, my other abiding interest mm. uh, in wargaming is the American yes. Civil War. Oh, yeah. Um, but I I can't have that same link. I'm not even in the same country, and I've never been, unfortunately. Although the Little Wars TV guys keep uh, asking me to go over, and they'll show me the ropes over there. But right. uh, I, I haven't got that same sort of m memory. I haven't got that same um, that same link to it that I feel with Spain, because Spain's a country I've been to. I've got a lived experience of uh, the certainly the coup, um, and and. Uh, my history teacher generating this fascination with a conflict. I have to say, the more I've read about it as I've got older and moved through my life, the more I find it unremittingly grim. Yeah, I'm no, still, but I'm yeah. still hooked by yeah. the period, and and that isn't just the period of the war, but the, you know the immediate um, uh, the years prior. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's one of the things that keeps me coming back. And and there's always new stories for me to find about it so as, as a wargaming period for that newcomer who's coming up to your table looking at you and your finery and you've laid out one game or a, a series of four games 
and they say to you, well, what what is the essence? Again, I don't think there's an answer. And I think it's something that probably somebody has to go out and explore themselves. Having And, and maybe that, that is the answer, actually, Bob. That, I can give you your first line of this addiction. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's you know, free. Here, it's take a free. snore. <laughs> Come back to me and give me your money. <laughs> it's free. But you, 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 you create that spark to say, well, this this conflict took place here. This is what's going on, on on this tabletop. But there's actually a wider story that you can go out and investigate. So maybe that's the answer, actually. No, I don't know those aspects. Are they gameable? I, I think War Games Development probably would say yes. Absolutely. I mean, they have their whole black game thing going on. I mean, I think part of the, one of the mistakes that some of the rules make that I... Um, I have issues with is they there's a number of different rules where they they try and inject a kind of the political some aspects of the political conflict onto the battlefield right so you'll have charts whereby if such and such a unit is communist it won't cooperate with anarchists and blah 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 and the thing is there isn't a great deal of evidence that that actually happened but there does seem to have been quite a, um, a separation between what was going on on the battlefront and the politics. To the extent, for example, when the May events were happening in Barcelona in 1937, units at the front were, you know, anarchist units and uh, Pumista units and, and um, communist units and stuff, didn't kind of start shooting one another. You know, there's this idea that that there was this kind of yes, there was there was a civil war within a civil war between the various factions, but that doesn't seem to have spilled over onto the actual front line. That, that that's that's a really interesting area of this conflict for me, though. That um, the Republican cause really potentially, arguably, defeated itself because there was no unification really amongst these different factions is that is that an erroneous road to go down and, and train of thought well i mean historians hate apparently for some reason hate talking about what ifs to me that's part of the reason i'm interested in history um i don't think that the republic could ever have won the war whatever happened but but that fact though that you've got the anarchists there who just don't believe in any sum any form of government essentially and you've got the communist militia with the collectivi- the, the um, theory of collectivization um, and other factions sort of pulling against any sort of common thread for the P- Republican cause. I- is that the essence of that or is it just is it just economics? Why, why do you think why do I think the Republic couldn't have won? No, I think the reason the Republic couldn't have won was institutional. I don't think it has anything very much to do with the politics. I think it has to do with the fact that, to me, and you you say you're very interested in civil wars, I have this kind of, it's not really a theory, but generally the side that wins a civil war is the first side to come up with an army that's capable of winning, but is designed in the right way with the right with the resources that they have available. So you look at the English Civil War, you know, Parliament wins because of the New Model Army, because they create an instrument that wins the war. Yes. And you look at the same with Russians, the, with the Russian Civil War, the Red Army, the, the Red Guard, 
Trotsky creates an army that is then capable of winning the war, fighting the war that needs to be won. Yeah. Uh, same with American War of Independence, same with all of these different civil wars. And I think the Spanish Civil War is the same. There is so much against the Republic. Um, and I think it's another reason that I'm interested in the Civil War is that for a long time, it's been portrayed as well. The Republic only really lost, they lost because of internal division, they lost because of the Nazis, they lost because of Italians, they lost because of whatever. To me, they lost because the nationals were just better at winning the war. You know, they produced them. They had the, they took what they had. Um, and they weren't that much better than the Republic. They just used what they had more effectively. And yeah, they had a bit more air support. They had slightly better organization. They had certainly a better logistical system. But the, the yeah, it's sort of like we, we, we as British, as non-Spanish people tend to see the war as being, we tend to look at the international aspect, right? So obviously one of the reasons that people are attracted to the civil war is because they're interested in international brigades. Yeah. Right. And what interests me really as a kind of history enthusiast is the Spanish aspects of the Spanish civil war, right? Because for example, you know, yeah, the international brigades, very interesting, this whole kind of coming together of people from all over the world. Um, you know, this volunteerism and, and all this kind of stuff. And, but they represent all the Moors, you know, the, the Moors and the, the kind of Spanish army of Africa. So maybe 60,000 Moors served on the national side, maybe the similar amount of, of internationals on the uh, Republican side. We're talking about armies that at various points number half a million men. Yes. So we're looking at a war, a conflict, which is a national conflict. And as I say, most of the people who fought it are not, they're not ideology, ideolog ideologues, you know, they're not Moors, they're not legionaries, they're not internationals. They're just regular Spanish young people, young men. As happens in a lot of civil wars. No, of course. I mean, we can, again, with, with the American Civil War, you can look, oh yeah, the Zouaves and the kind of, most of them are just, young young guys yes exactly. you know, who've been uh, further than the next town yeah who are only who are only fighting because they they're told to yes exactly. you know we we tend to see as i say we tend to see the spanish civil war as being you know there's what five international brigades that's not i mean not to kind of belittle their contribution and belittle the fact that they you know they put their lives on the line for i happen to think a reasonably noble cause but in the grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of things yeah you know they are completely outnumbered by just jose from you know 19 year old um kid who's only in the army because he's he's, he's been called up and in some ways that's the kind of interest uh, i'm kind of interested in that mm. um and in the kind of Spanish side of the Civil War might sound a bit strange, but no, no, and it's it's an entirely valid point. I mean, I think from a non-Spanish perspective, uh, certainly if you look back at some of the people that went over to Spain in the thirties, there's there was almost I hesitate to use this word, but almost a romanticism. Oh God, yeah, about going to fight 
against the fascist cause. Um, you look at the poets and the writers and the uh, the intellectuals that were attracted to uh, head to Spain and and. Well, that, that, that's another that's another myth because if you actually look at the the sociology of the people who fought in the internationals in the British Battalion, for example, vast majority of them were just regular working class boys. Yes, no, I I accept that, but when you when you look at the 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 intellectuals, the poets, etc., that go over there, they're the people that write about this thing and and are most well known for their involvement to, to such an extent that the the international brigades created a separate unit for the British intellectuals who came. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't they, know they, they, they had. It became apparently an issue that these these effete Oxbridge types were wouldn't fit in with the kind of working class boys of the of the of the infantry. So apparently, they that's why they created an anti tank battery. Okay. And the. The epithet, he's a bit anti-tank, is alleged to be the, you know, a little bit, a little bit like less masculine, shall we say. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. No, uh, no, no, no I, can, I, I can see that. But... but it is also worth pointing out that the way that the anti-tank battery responded to this slightly less positive um, impression that the rest of the brigade was given was by becoming some of the hardest core fighters in the whole of the internationals. Right. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, I mean, we're talking about, you know, they were basically armed with a 45 mil, um, 40, a Soviet 45 mil anti-tank gun, like the, like the same, similar pattern to the, to the German pack, they're only bigger. And there are tales of them being used as, as an assault unit. Right. Like okay. Basically, uh, Belchite rolling these things up to the doors of defended buildings um, in this very fierce house-to-house -house fight and using them to blow the building up and then going in with grenades and bayonets. So rather than being, you know, this, oh, look at us, they were being used to, in an infantry role, in a sort of, as I said, an assault infantry role with these, and they're not big, these guns, but they're not light, you know, <laughs> and they were rolling these things up to the doors and the buildings that were being defended by by, um, by the nationals and uh, using their guns, using their anti-tank guns as, as, as assault weapons. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's another, um, I don't know, myth that should possibly be challenged or, but I think we, we as non-Spanish people, we tend to see the civil war in ways that we can kind of empathize with. I mean, you also have the others on the other side, you have this idea that, oh, you know, these national socialist or fascist supermen coming to, you know, repress the Spanish people. And they weren't that good either. <laughs> okay. You know, um, this whole kind of Condor Legion kind of, because that's another thing that we, that we have to deal with all the time is, oh, well, of course, it was, it was the prelude to World War Two which I'm not sure is the right way to look at it. Because, yeah, it happened just before World War Two. But it's very different. You know, the way it was fought and this whole, oh, yeah, well, of course, the Germans, and it's, it's accepted as a truth. You know, the Germans practiced Blitzkrieg in, in, in Spain. 
they didn't okay um the the german armor that served in spain was panzer ones yeah which is hardly state of the art even in 1937 <laughs> and they were used in penny packets you know they were used each core each uh each national brigade had a company assigned to it and they were machine gun tanks and they were used as infantry support right um the only side which the the, the countries or the, the foreign um what's the word what participants the the, the so the, the for example the soviets did use on one particular occasion uh spain to practice their deep penetration armored warfare thrusts right with the whole descent you know guys clinging onto the back back of tanks to break through and it was a disaster you know the italians came to spain with with their their own um concept called celere which means uh, uh, lightning so it's literally got the same name um lightning lightning war and they first put it into practice at guadalajara didn't go so well i don't know guadalajara was a, again the italians got got a kicking um so those country those people who are doing what people now consider to be well blitzkrieg or you know the way they fought things in world war ii when they do try those and those methods they don't work out and in fact I, I've, I've got a slight suspicion that when you know the whole kind of mobile warfare thing wasn't what the, Spanish, the germans were teaching to the spanish but actually that's one of the things the germans took home with them after the first six months of the war because if you look at if you look at how the army of africa goes from sevilla up to madrid mm-hmm. with mobile columns fast moving driving around you know pockets of resistance using air but well, what air power they've got to you know in in lieu of artillery that's an awful lot like blitzkrieg but it's not the germans who are teaching them how to do it because what they've done what the the, the reason they're doing that is because that's what they, the sort of warfare they've been fighting in africa so yeah and i think there's a lot of i mean in terms of gaming one mistake that some a lot of people seem to make is either seeing it as like i say the sort of world war ii light because the weapons are similar so it must have been and it happened at around the same time so it must be similar so they're kind of people trying to use like world war ii rules yeah I think it's just World War Two with light tanks, early World War Two light tanks. Uh, or sometimes they also see it as like World War One with less artillery, and it kind of doesn't really work. It it, it sort of, um, you know, it, it's not. Um, and I know there's there's a company. Do you know um, War Games for Grown Ups? Uh, yes, Trebian, Graham Evans, yeah. Yes, um, he gets. I know he gets really wound up. He, he it really winds him up because he was. I was talking to him a while ago, and he said, "Why do they do that?" Because he's written a couple of really good sets of rules for the Civil War. Yeah, for whom the dice rolls. Is it? Yes, yeah. Yeah. he's got a new one. I'm probably preempting it. He's he's had a set around for 
quite a long time and I know he's kind of working on putting it together and putting it out as a book called um, If You Tolerate This. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, they, they've been around for some time, I think. Which I think they were published either in The Nugget or in... Um, it may have uh, just been on his website, actually, or on his blog. I've seen it. I thought they were in Sotswell or the... Um, oh, sorry, the Society of 20th Century Wargamers, yeah. Either that or they were in they were in The Nugget. But he the sent me a copy. Yeah. And I know he was kind of getting quite sort of... Why do they do that? It didn't really, you know... Um, and I think he has a point. Um, and as I say, we're going back to the whole kind of why are we why are we interested in this? Because these are kind of fascinating discussions, and I think that with World War Two or some of the bigger periods, some of the more popular periods, a lot of gamers don't want aren't really that interested in thinking about it. They just want to do. They want to be able to get a list and play a good game with some pretty toys, which is fine. I mean, you know, I know when I used to go to to um hackney i used to go to the hate club and i know you've had did you have um i've got tom and not dan two guys from 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 what's their podcast called hobby support group oh right no i haven't had them on no but i I, um we've i think we've shouted each other out because they're really, yeah, because they're, 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 they're really super guys. Andy and Tom. Yeah. Hello, and Andy and Tom, if you're listening. Yeah, hi, Andy and Tom. It's Bob. Um, and I used to go to the Hate Club, uh, which, by the way, is one of the best clubs I've ever been to. Uh, but also shout out to Selwig, who are also top. Um, and you talk to people and they'd be just, they were just interested in playing a game. So they don't want to be doing the sort of things that you and I might be doing about, you know, building army lists and doing calculations and trying to kind of work out to get a. And that's fair play, you know, they want to. It's and I'm not dismissing them. I'm not saying that's not every bit as valid a part of the hobby as, as what you and I are talking about. But they don't want to be kind of. They just want to have a good game with some nice toys and some nice terrain and a decent you know an enjoyable gaming experience um so and the thing about the civil war and the thing about world war ii and all this kind of stuff is in terms of putting on a game and making up army lists it's a bit more less complicated right because they were much more efficient bureaucracies so if you generally although yes there's some variation but you want to find out what was in this unit on this particular day at this particular place doing this particular thing you can probably find it out problem with the civil war is even in the well-organized units it wasn't always necessarily so you know um and you know um so yeah and i think with, with people would be like oh no it's really interesting but you do all the maths you know you do all the thinking about it yeah um, you, you've got i think you've got to work quite hard haven't you to sort of get that level of information that is probably a lot easier to obtain for other well i don't know about getting the information but you know it's sort of people like definites you know they like to go right this is my army list for this day and i've got this many points to spend on this right and if that's the kind of thing you're expecting from the spanish civil war you're looking at the wrong war yeah yeah well 
Uh, listen, uh, Bob, I could talk to you all night on this. I've got so many questions on that on this subject in particular. But let's let, let's just head towards then where you are with your wargaming of the conflict at the moment. If if you are indeed wargaming actively at the moment, just so so what's what would be your chosen rule set then uh, for? The period is it, is it one set? Have you got? I haven't written them yet. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm joking. In terms of where I am at the moment, I've been doing a bit of Hannah, and this is going to contradict what I said about period-specific rules. I've been having quite a few nice games with five-minute Kursk. Yeah, I'm aware of them. I've never read them or played them, but I'm aware of the uh, the the uh, series of rule sets which is really small scale so it's like six men five or six men right so it's the real sharp end and i think at that level the differences between the conflicts are a little bit easier to deal with yes because at the end of the day you've got a handful of guys with bolt action rifles yeah right so i've been doing a bit of that um and i got because just after the first lockdown i managed to order myself a bunch of Pendrack and 10 mil. One of the things that's thrown a bit of a spanner in the, a bit of a wrench in the, in the works is uh, Brexit. <laughs> the B word. Uh-huh. Sorry to bring in the, bring modern politics into it, but I have yet to swallow, yet to bite the bullet and find out how much I'm likely to get taxed if I order ministers from the UK. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I'm hearing all sorts of horrendous stories about people getting charged like 50% of the price of a of some miniatures. But I did manage to order enough 10 mil Pendraken to keep me going for a while. And a big shout out to Leon, by the way, because yeah. uh, as a less than talented painter, the 10 mil the Pendraken ones are they're very forgiving. Yes, they are. I've got a box full right in front of me at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very nice, very forgiving. And you can get enough, because as I say, with, with something like Five Minute Curse, you only need a handful of miniatures. And they are nice. You can tell what they are at that scale as well. You know, they're quite easy to paint and you can get a nice effect. And I, I one thing I do think I, I do enjoy more is building terrain. So you can get a fairly nice game going in relatively short order. Um, I've also recently acquired a set of Chain of Command, which one of my one of the guys on the page said it's almost like they could have been designed for the Civil War. There is a supplement, isn't there? I think. There is, and reading through their research, it, it is pretty spot on. Right? I haven't seen any major major flaws to it, but yeah, Kev's told me that he they played loads of games with it, and he, he kind of couldn't go into much detail. But he said, yeah, no, it, it really plays well. And it really feels like um, what we're trying to do there is um, at some point, because, uh, you know, the the Lardies, their general advice is find somebody who plays the game already and get them to play it with you. That's how they advise people to. So, yeah, we're going to set that up. Another thing I'm kind of trying to do at the moment is to put together a grand, what I suppose is grand tactical game for the anniversary of Brunetti, which is the which is July. So it's coming up in about two, three months, like the 15th of July. And what I'd like to do, one of the things I want to do with the with the Facebook page is to have a live event whereby we can mark the anniversary by doing an online game. 
Okay. So I've been working on, again, you probably, do you know Steve's Balgan? Uh, yes, a very useful website. Indeed, actually, yeah. It's a big Crossfire fan, isn't he? He is a big Crossfire fan, but he's got lots of really good stuff on there about the Civil War. He has, yeah. Um, one of the things that he's got on there is an adaptation that he's done of Martin Rapier, again, of his offensive set, which I have a fairly good idea I might have played back in the day. Um, so what I'm kind of doing is trying to adapt that with the intention possibly of doing a an online multiplayer refi of at least the first day of Belchite. Uh, sorry, Brunetti, Belchite is later. Um, with uh, one of the things I like to I try and do with the games that I run on that I do run on the page is to make it you can play them in miniatures, but if you've got pen and paper and some counters, you can also play. Right. Um, and so one of the yeah, that's what I'm kind of trying out at the moment, kind of and hammering out a few details there. The event is already posted on the Facebook page um, with a view to doing something for the anniversary. What I would like to do before then is start doing is go back to doing some more regular sort of Sunday afternoon. Um, we call it Bob's Virtual Gaming Cafe. And the idea okay. is a couple of hours playing a game, usually Spanish Civil War related. Um, and it was great. And sort of doing that through through the lockdown was really a real, I think we all found it really positive. And I'm sure, yeah. going back to doing that um, and kind of hopefully trying to get, I'm, one of the reasons I'm glad I'm on the podcast is if you know, people want to um, get involved in that, that would be a really good thing. Yeah. And that, that details on the Facebook group again. Uh, I haven't done them yet. We were doing it every mar every Sunday afternoon. We haven't done it for a while. Um, but what I'm thinking of doing with regard to building up to the, to the Brunetti thing is there were a number of battles before that on a slightly smaller scale, which I think it would be a nice idea to do on the anniversary to start testing the rules. Okay. You see what I mean? So yeah. there's a, there's one that was like a core. Um, so do that on the anniversary right. to see if the rules that we I want to use for the Brunetti game work. Yes. And they might not, you know, it's kind of one of the things I've enjoyed about, I enjoyed about the process is this kind of conversations that I had with you and other people who are interested thinking, well, this is, have you thought about this and would you like to do this and how, how would this work out? And it's been, you know, it's all, I think one of the things, I'm not an expert on the Civil War and I don't think anybody ever will be. It's like what Socrates said, all I have learned is that I have known nothing. The more you learn about it, the more you realise, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. yeah. But it's so like, oh, look, you go off down this rabbit hole about, you know, uniform colours or um, how many, I've spent some time trying to work out logistics how many trucks did the army of the of maneuver have available for brunetti how many trucks how much ammunition can a truck carry how much fuel does, i mean you know and then you find yourself thinking well you know um you know aircraft or um you know uh i was um trying to look at some stuff to do with madrid and uh you know the the, the battle of madrid because I think it would make a really good one-to-one -one skirmish for my sort of 
10 mil stuff. And, you know, it's endless, you know, and in, in some ways you, ho you hope that it's less complicated than World War II, but kind of doubt it. So that's where I'm going. As I say, I've, I've already put the event up for Brunetti. I sent out, you would, if you're a member of the group, you would have already had it, but I'm going to keep pushing it. Yeah. Um, it might not happen. The system is currently working whereby it's one commander per division. It's probably going to be all national, all the nationalists are going to be kind of umpire run. And so we're probably looking about, and I want there to be an umpire or a sort of control for each of the core and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know, well, we can plug the hell out of it. I, the podcast, I would hope so. I would hope yeah, so. No, um, so, I don't know. I, again, I don't think I answered your question. No, no, I think that's sufficient. <laughs> I've got a good idea there. Don't Thank you, worry. Worry. <laughs> uh, Bob. It, we've we've reached the stage then in the podcast. And listen, I could talk to you probably until the cows come home okay. on this subject. I've got Anytime, so many man. questions and, and things that I want. I wanted to throw. I don't get out much. Like I say, I don't get out much. No, 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 nor me. But uh, <laughs> it, it does mean that we've got a good reason to get you back onto the podcast. Great. So would, at the end of the podcast, I, I always ask two questions uh, yes. of any guest. And the first is, we've just answered it, that you will come back on. Absolutely, anytime. Uh, to the podcast. But uh, the second part is the uh, now infamous God's Own Scale virtual library, where I invite a guest to deposit a book or two of their choice on history, military history, wargaming, onto the shelves for other um, listeners and, and guests to consider taking a look at. And uh, I'll just give a shout out to Charles Roundtree again for curating all of the books that have been uh, recommended uh, so far into a database. Um, I haven't kept it quite up to date. I'm a little bit behind updating it, but there's certainly 40 plus episodes worth of yeah. of books that uh, Charles curated in, into yeah. that database. And uh, whatever you come up with now, Bob will be going into that. So, have you got something for us? This has been the. This is probably the hardest question you've asked me all evening. You knew it was coming, though. I know. I did. I mean, obviously, and you know, and I've been thinking about it. Or since you asked me to do the podcast. Yeah, it's quite, quite often happens that people think it's hard. There's an estimated 20,000 volumes being written about the Civil War. Oh, really? Hugh Thomas, and that's just in English. And the thing about the Civil War is it's probably been written more about, and is more nonsense has been written about the Civil War than most of the other things I've ever read about. Does that include one of the books that I mentioned in our chat a couple of nights ago on Harama? Oh, don't. I won't mention it. You and I both know who we're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad you said when you just asked me that question, a book or two. Yes. <laughs> because that makes my, my recommendation slightly easier. Firstly, I would like to recommend that possibly the virtual library open an audio visual section. Yes. Right. In which case I would recommend that there's the time ghost between two wars youtube series of which the 1936 1937 and 1938 episodes are specifically about the civil war and are some of the most some of the best brief explanations of what happened in spain and the politics and all that kind of stuff that i know of any medium that entry will have the reference number one on it okay as the first entry in the, the in the audio, audio virtual section. section 
I'd also recommend another, which is called uh, History of the Second World War podcast, which is the same guy who did the History of the First World War a while ago, and he's just getting up to 1939, and he did a really long, deep dive into various aspects of the Civil War. I've missed that. I'm an oh, it, it's that. called the history of the second world i'll send you the links I'll, I'll, yeah, when we've finished i'll send you some links to it yeah it's also history's most which is a podcast but books right if you need a single general history of the civil war i have to say uh it would have to be paul preston's uh compressive kind of civil war right which will get hopefully get all your politics and all your acronyms and all your vegetables all your alphabet soup stuff out of the way well that's one of the hardest bits isn't it no it is but i would i would that's why i mentioned the podcast and and the and the um, youtube stuff because yeah it's more accessible it's better explained i get the feeling that um time uh that uh, uh between two wars isn't quite as partial isn't quite as you know loaded on one side or the other and it's just really good it's really entertaining in terms of the sort of stuff that you and I might be interested in, and in, you know the, the kind of mil- military history geekery and stuff, um, I would have to say if it was one volume, it would be Charles Easdale, A New Military History of the Spanish Civil War. No, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, he's on the page. He's on. The, he's a member of the group. Um, he's a, a a wonderful combination of he's a proper historian. He's a you know recently retired a professor of, of, of history. He's a reenactor and he's a war gamer. So the sort of thing that you might want to know when you're reading your more general history of the Civil War, Charles is your man. Um, it's also a really top bloke. I must also give out give a, 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 an honourable mention to Alex Clifford, who has written two fantastic books on the civil war one's called um the people's army in the spanish civil war and the other one is called fighting for spain and that would be my three my rather more than three recommendations <laughs> listen it's uh, i leave it entirely in the gift of the uh guests to leave as many recommendations as they want I wasn't sure how strict you were on the rules. Oh gosh, was, not strict. I thought it was a bit like um, you know, Desert Island Discs. You're only in oh, no. records, and yeah. Now those will be the three um, or four. All four, yeah. Or five uh, or six, got, including the podcasts. Well, exactly. So uh, I've now got an audio visual section, mm-hmm. which I never thought mm-hmm. I'd have. But uh, I've now got references one, two, and possibly three uh, of the uh, entries on there, so they will be listed. Uh, and and uh, those those books certainly two of those authors uh, I'm, I feel ignorant in, in Charles Easdale Charles Easdale um, um, Alex Clifford if you're interested in naval warfare there are others but you know well we'll leave that for another time we will Bob it's been great to talk to you and uh, you too mate. absolutely fascinating your your knowledge on the the conflict has really intrigued me. You, you will be invited back on uh, when um, I can ask you some further questions uh, that uh, are on the tip of my tongue that I'm dying to ask. Uh, but I wish you every success with the Facebook group, uh, with uh, the anniversary game of Brunetti and uh, every, everything else that you're involved in. And I hope to catch up with you. Joy of Six, if you make it.
Hopefully. We'll see. All right, mate. I'll catch you soon. Okay, welcome back to God's Own Scale Studio. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Bob as much as I did. The Spanish Civil War is an endlessly fascinating period on our history and well worth taking a look at if you're after a new project. On my own hobby front, not a lot happening I'm afraid. Work and family life continues to intervene but it hasn't stopped me planning and I'm picking up a bag full of AWI figures from Pendraken on Sunday for the Hobkirk's Hill scenario for Live Free or Die. Plus I've added in a few bits for my September 1939 project using Blitzkrieg Commander. I am fully aware that my hobby butterfly is soaring high at the moment as I have in excess of six projects vying for my attention but that's not a complaint and I'll get round to them. It's all a matter of time. Blenheim will surface sooner rather than later, as will the Somme, but for the moment my attention is elsewhere and this is in no small part due to our club flourishing. Um, it's in a better place than it's been for several years actually with uh, the number of members that we have turning up on a Friday night, which is great, and I'm looking at a couple of Blitzkrieg Commander scenarios for Operation Market Garden that I'm hoping to put on for the club in the near future. More of that soon. One revelation for me has come during the playtesting of a super secret project that will be revealed in episode 48, the one with Peter Berry that's coming hot on the heels of this one actually, releasing on the 18th or 19th of May. Uh, and that revelation is how much I've enjoyed a game of black powder. I've probably been a little dismissive and possibly a bit snooty of these rules, dismissing them as a nice coffee table book with not much between the covers, so to speak. But I have to say, I have been wrong, and they deliver for me a very enjoyable game that is fast-paced and doesn't make the brain hurt, which is ideal after a week of real-life stresses and strains. They are adaptable to any horse and musket period with their special rules adding period flavour, and they give plausible results with that all-important fixation for many friction built into it. I realise to some I am preaching to the converted and to others that I may come across as being sorely deluded, but as I have said many times before on the podcast and elsewhere, this hobby is a broad church and there's room for all of us, whatever our chosen proclivity. All I can say is that we thoroughly enjoyed our game and I'm looking forward to exploring them some more. I won't mention my foray into bolt action for fear of alienating half of the audience. Okay, time to wrap up the show. As always, thank you so much to all who download each and every episode. It really does astonish me that the number of you who choose to listen to the show. And special thanks to the Patreons who helped keep the lights on. If you wish to support the show, check out the link in the show notes, which is patreon.com forward slash God's Own Scale. 
If you wish to join in the conversation, check out the God's Own Scale Facebook group or get in touch via Twitter at God's Own Scale. You can also email me at godsownscale at gmail.com. But until next time, stay safe, play nice, and keep talking about six. Thank mm-hmm. you.